37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal 211. I am back in action, feeling better, and with me again is Preston. What's up, all you coot, ghosts, and goblins? You, <laughs> uh, what do we say, uh, uh, coon gators and... Uh, coon gators and crocodingos. Crocodingos. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The duck daddy himself. Yeah. Uh, it's good to have you back with me, man. Flying yeah. solo is a little rough sometimes, yeah. especially when you're feverish. Yeah, I try to do... Um, when we did those pit stops like years ago, um, mm-hmm. I, I I tried to do one that was solo, and uh, dude, it was like it was fucking rough. I'm just like I I don't know what to do. <laughs> like I need somebody else to talk right. to, and I'm just like talking to myself is weird. Yeah, unless you've got like a nice story to narrate, it's kind of rough. Just to you need someone to bounce that stuff off of. Yeah. Well, you're back here with me. We're back in action, and. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling way better. I think I'm out of the woods. Been cleared by the county health department and a doctor, so hopefully I should no longer be uh, a threat to anybody else. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, how's your uh, how's your duck, duck daddy? I, you were talking about having to take one to the vet. Yeah, which there are no, uh, like, vets in, like, the area that deal with ducks or farm animals so like the closest huh. lady that specializes in like farm animals birds and reptiles is in fucking peabody kansas which is like 57 minutes away and <laughs> she just like it's so you call her up and you set an appointment and then she lives like a couple miles down the street and it's like just this metal building out in the middle of nowhere so I got there and she's like, well, let me, I didn't write that down. Let me check my appointment book. Oh, holy crap. You're right. You got an appointment at three o'clock, Jeffrey. I'll be right there. And then <laughs> she just like shows up and, um, so yeah, our duck, uh, had a, one of her black Swedish has like a, uh, like a limp and it was not getting any better. And I'm like, fuck, it's probably broken. So Threw the duck in a, a crate and put it in the back of the pickup truck and drove 57 minutes. And uh, I tell you what, the black Swedish was quacking at me, put on a little tool and some stone simple pilots, and she calmed right down. It was all mellow. And uh, we get there, and the, the the lady gets her out of the crate, and the fucking duck just, like, goes apeshit and, like, bites the shit out of her arm. And I'm just like, well, let me reach in there and grab her. And so I like picked her up and she just kind of squack quacked at you know quacked at me but didn't bite and then like the lady like felt her leg she's like yeah uh, well uh, it's swollen and uh you know uh, let me feel back by her knee here yeah it's not broken so she probably sprained it and she's just being a baby about it i can give you some uh you, you know anti-inflammatory stuff for her but it's probably going to do more damage than good um because you know when she's ready to walk on it, she'll walk on it. So, okay, well, sorry, you drove all this way. Uh, 25 bucks, please. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool, thanks. So. Well, hey, at least it was only 25 bucks, man, and not like 100 or something crazy. Yeah, I would have been pissed. I would have been like, goddamn duck. What can you do? We uh, we dealt with a long, 
long uh, saga with Sully because this cat's like a billy goat and he eats pretty much anything trash related. Plastic bags, Walmart sacks, Dylan sacks, uh, baggies, anything that's mylar, anything that's acetate. And we had our niece's birthday and longer, shorter. Um, he likes streamers and ribbons and everything else. Hair ties, he'll take a hair tie, chew it in half and swallow it like a giant worm. And anyway, like right before we took our trip, he started acting really lethargic and didn't want to walk around, didn't want to move around, just wanted to lay around. And um, the whole time we were gone on vacation, my in-laws were checking on him and said, like, it's just getting worse. Like his, you know, bright green eyes are getting real, like, just pale, real lethargic. Like his eyeballs were saggy. You could see, like, you know, under his eyelids and stuff like that. And then we were expecting him not to be here when we got home. And then luck would have it. We got home um, a couple weeks ago, a week ago. I don't know. Time's been a blur. But uh, he comes kind of strutting up to us a little bit. And I did what any self-respecting cat owner would do and started going through his poop box and discovered that he was starting to crap out pieces of ribbon, like mylar ribbon. Mm. And he ended up that he had chewed up like a whole foot of it into little pieces and then went to work one day, came back home. There's a giant monstrosity in the cat box. Um, how to make this the least graphic. Double gloved up when I got home from work, threw that giant melted Tootsie Roll into a bucket of water. And he had passed an entire three-foot section of ribbon. So for like a week, he had that in his stomach while we were on vacation. And he was just tripping balls off of all the purple dye because what I cleaned off was like, this translucent green color. So mm. he was, <laughs> he was in a lot of pain and we're really happy that he just managed to pass it on his own. Cause we were kind of curious as what to do, you know, of course you take him to the vet, but we weren't home. Yeah. And a lot of this went down during a weekend. So we didn't really know what to do, but we were talking to the vet via messenger and I don't know, somehow he passed this thing and he's right as rain now being the same old fun loving jerk that he always has been. So, I mean, medical advice, you've heard it here first, folks. When in doubt, you just need to take a shit. <laughs> right. Sometimes that's all it is. You know, a lot of doctors ask you that. Uh, when's the last time you pooped? Yeah. So that's all it was. But yeah, geez, poor little guy. Well, on this episode, um, again, admittedly, kind of thrown together somewhat last minute, but... It's got a lot of interesting stuff behind it. We're going to talk a little bit about hoaxes. Because with all these supposed Bigfoot sightings and UFO videos popping up, it always brings up that immortal question of, is what we're looking at real? And, you know, there's so many supposed videos from Michigan where a kayaker claims to have taken a video of a Bigfoot carrying the baby across the river. I think we talked about that back in August. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got videos kind of similar to the Patterson-Gimlin film of a Bigfoot walking again up in Oregon. There's videos in Idaho, Florida, North uh, California, Oklahoma, North Carolina, West Virginia, and all over the place. Like, literally, Bigfoot sightings are pretty much becoming just as common as car wrecks in the news, it seems like. And on top of that, you got videos of the Navy, <laughs> videos from the Navy. They're just throwing around like freaking Mardi Gras beads at a parade. So, yeah, we saw a Tic Tac and we saw this and we saw that. And, you know, we're getting closer to this disclosure, supposedly. But it always, you know, really begs the question, is what we're watching in the news real or is it all just a big crock of hooey? 
Yeah, so while you're getting your drink, I, I just want to po point out that you said, you know, disclosure is supposedly on its way. It's actually already happened. Like, they, they came out this year and said that, uh, hey, by the way, uh, you remember that uh, article that came out in 2016 when the head of the Pentagon said that, uh, you know, 5% of the UFO sightings uh, were real and, like, actual, like, unidentified you know, UF, you know, UFOs, and we don't know where they came from. Hey, we got this Land Rover from some alien species <laughs> in a bunker in New York. Uh, so, yeah, we've been uh, working on that for years. Okay, well, uh, thanks again, America. Bye. Like, that, <laughs> right. that was your disclosure right there. Like, I don't know what everybody was expecting, but, I mean, they pretty much said, like, they had a Halo Land Rover in a bunker in New York. Like, that's about as good as it's going to get. Like, okay, aliens <laughs> are fair. fucking real, people. Aliens are fucking real. You know, we have a Master Chief Land Rover, and uh, we've been backwards engineering it. So, take that. <laughs> hey, that's very fair. That's That's very, very fair. Unless you were hoping for, oh, hey, by the way, yeah, uh, aliens are real, and uh, so that's why we created uh, the U.S. Marine Space Force. Um, they're they're pretty hostile. Um, they're probably going to kick our ass in the next five years. So, uh, you know, be prepared for that, people. Thanks. Okay, U.S. government out. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's what everybody really wants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the down and dirty of it. On tonight's episode, we're going to tackle a few of the paranormal community's biggest supposed hocuses. Hocuses. Jesus, man. Maybe I still have a fever. Who knows? Hocuses, pocuses, motherfucker. Hocuses, hocuses. <laughs> hocuses, focusing heavily on aliens and abductions. Now, to get started, we're going to jump into perhaps the greatest alien invasion hoax of all time. And this has to do with the story behind perhaps one of the most beloved films of all time, The War of the Worlds. Now, this baby came out in 1953, and it starred the amazing Gene Barry and Anne Robinson, only to then be remade in 2005, featuring Dakota Fanning and Tom Cruise. Now, I'm assuming you've seen the remake. Have you seen the original? Yeah. Okay, what'd you think? Um, I don't know. I, I prefer the I prefer the original. Um. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Dakota Fanning's okay. I, I think for when you look at the, the time the original was created um, and you know, just the nostalgia of it being like black and white and how they had or didn't have special effects, but they were able to like to do some really cool things. Um, just like the original King Kong, like they had like the stop motion, like, you know, that yeah. really crappy clay animation thing going on. Um, and then like, uh, when they had like, uh, what movie was it? It was like in the twenties or thirties, but they had like the little clay Tyrannosaurus Rex that it, it was so shitty how it moved. But at the time, like it was groundbreaking. Um, so I mean, I, that might've been King Kong itself, man. Cause you know, he fights the Tyrannosaurus Rex in King Kong after he kidnaps the fair maiden. Oh yeah. 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 So I, I appreciate things like that. And then the idea yeah. is like when it first came out, how they did like the radio drama, but they didn't fucking tell anybody what they were doing. Like all of a sudden, like, because back, <laughs> right. then, back then it's like nobody had a fucking TV. So like, you know, like you think now, like you get off work, you're like, fuck yeah, me and the wife, we're going to fucking watch like Rick and Morty or something. 
So like, <laughs> I don't know, like 1910, right. you like get off work. You're like, fuck yeah, me and the wife are going to listen to the radio tonight and see what programs they got on the old radio stations. And all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> burr, burr, uh, uh, this is a warning from the U.S. government. And like people are like, holy fuck, the aliens are really here. Um, and right, it caused, right. it, it caused like mass turmoil, but the whole entire time they're like, dude, it's just a fucking radio drum. What the fuck's wrong with you people? Um, yeah, but I yeah, mean, the, so... the, the way it was produced, the sounds, the sound effects, like everything they did, it was so believable. Um, you know, that's like, I enjoy listening to it. Like if you can find like on YouTube, like look it up or the world's, you know, radio broadcast and just listen mm-hmm. to it. Like it's pretty fucking neat. It, it really is. And folks, we're talking about jumping in the Wayback Machine here and going back all the way to 1938. You know, decades, decades upon decades before YouTube and the internet and hucksters. And, you know, this is possibly one of the biggest, if not the biggest, incidental hoax of all time. And the original War of the Worlds was an episode of an American radio drama anthology series from the Mercury Theater that aired, uh, directed and narrated by actor and future filmmaker Orson Welles, who was adapting a version of H.G. Wells, no relation, and his novel The War of the Worlds, written way back in 1898. And so Orson Welles performs this episode of this radio broadcast show back on Columbia Broadcasting System Radio Network uh, back when he was 23 years old. And he decided to kind of update this and give it a little bit more of a 19th century science fiction spin. Now, despite his age, Wells had been in the radio for several years, most notably as the voice of The Shadow in the mystery series program by the same name. And he kind of had cooked up this half-cocked idea of doing this somewhat um, radio drama of the War of the Worlds, but had no idea exactly how big of an impact he would have. So the show begins on Sunday, October 30th at 8 p.m. A voice announces, The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on air in War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. So that Sunday evening, back in 1938, that was prime time. Like you mentioned earlier, we didn't have TVs to watch. We didn't watch the evening news. That was just the golden age of radio. So... Your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, all the kids, they all crowded around the radio to listen to, you know, The Shadow or whatever random, you know, radio drama was on. But most of these Americans were listening to the ventriloquist Edgar Bergen and his dummy, Charlie McCarthy, on NBC and only tuned into CBS around 8, 12 p.m. after the comedy sketch ended. So unfortunately, a lot of people tune into this radio drama broadcast after it got started. So Wells introduces the radio play with a spoken introduction, followed by an announcer reading a weather report. And then from then, it kind of abandons the story you thought you were going to hear, and the announcer listens to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza downtown New York, where you can basically get the idea that you're just listening to some classic music of um, Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. And dance music plays, and everyone's having a good time. And then all of a sudden... Orson Welles jumps back in as the announcer, and he breaks into this report that Professor Farrell and the Mount Jenning Observatory has detected explosions on the planet Mars. And then, of course, the dance music fades back in, and you're like, what the hell was that? 
And it kind of does this back and forth and back and forth. And then the listeners are all of a sudden informed that this large meteors crashed into a farmer's field in Grover Mills, New Jersey. And then a little bit later, an announcer pops back in and says, the crash site is described as a Martian emerging from a large metallic cylinder. Good heavens, something's wiggling out like a giant snake. And there's another one and another one. And again, imagine you're listening to some ventriloquist doll, which why would you listen to a ventriloquist doll on a radio to begin with? Um, and then out of nowhere, like you're just like, oh shit, I'm right in the middle of a potential alien invasion. And you got this guy just saying, you know, oh God, there's tentacles everywhere and the thing's body's coming and it's huge and it's large like a giant bear and it's wet and it's shooting lasers everywhere and it's got this giant mouth with, you know, stuff dripping out of it. And then it goes straight into Martians walking around in these giant walking machines, firing heat rays and blowing everybody up. And all the puny humans can't seem to fight them back. And next thing you know, these aliens have destroyed like 7,000 National Guardsmen. And it really is just, you know, mass hysteria just going everywhere. Well, the second half of the show comes back and it shifts over to this radio drama format following a survivor who Wells again is playing himself, dealing with the aftermath of what it's like living in this post-invasion world, talking about how the Martians are occupying Earth, yada, yada, yada. And then it goes on for like 16 more minutes before he kind of busts out a character and says, surprise, it was all a joke. Happy Halloween, everybody. And click, and he hangs up. Well, that's cool, and I would have loved to have been there, you know, in the moment, like you were saying. Yeah. But for everybody who didn't realize it was just a radio show, people were just going nuts. Because you got to remember, like, we're in this state of anxiety prior to World War II, and we're waiting any and every moment for somebody else to try to invade America. And so you think there's this genuine news broadcast coming on. So thousands upon thousands of people are rushing to their parents' house, to bomb shelters. People are calling newspapers. Churches are being flooded past capacity because everyone's, you know, saying their last rites, thinking, oh, crap, like, when are the aliens going to show up in our town? Police start storming the radio station trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And, and through all that, even though... Um, you know, it was a hoax. The Federal Communications Commission investigated this unorthodox program, they called it, and discovered that technically no laws had been broken since Wells recorded a brief introduction before he got started. And even though at the time Orson thought that his whole career was over because of this stupid little stunt, ironically, this broadcast stunt actually helped Orson Wells land a contract later in Hollywood in 1941 where because of what he pulled off on a radio, he was then allowed to write, direct, and produce Citizen Kane, a movie that would go on to be called one of America's greatest films ever made. We're going to spitball here for a second, but uh -huh. you know what would be really fun to do for a Halloween episode? Uh-huh. Recreate the radio drama of War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we could find a um, copyright-free script? I don't. I don't. Well, we could like ad lib shit. Like, I, I, this is uh, this is Fred here. I'm uh, I'm in uh, you know, Kentucky, and uh, the goddamn meter just crashed into my field, and uh, holy shit, there's a fucking <laughs> tentacle! Fire! 
Oh, man. I wonder if we can get Robin on that. That'd be really fun to do, man. Yeah. The four of us. Yeah. Ooh, maybe put that on the back burner. Hell yeah. Well, like you said, what a time to be alive. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for us who are, quote unquote, in the biz, so to speak, we deal with this shit all the time. You know, something pops up and you or I or Steve or Rob would be like, oh, shit, you guys hear the story about yada, yada, yada. And then two of us are like, hell yeah. And the other one of us is like, no, this is clearly bullshit. You really got to straddle the line of being both Mulder and Scully all the time just to deal with half this crap. Because, you know, we try to call out specifically when we know something is going to be fake versus a little fine gray line of what if. But that's just the risk of the business, you know, getting into this kind of stuff. And it reminds me of a couple recent uh, hoaxes that we've discussed, you know, on previous episodes. One of which was a few years back when this video of a lady security footage in La Junta, Colorado popped up where she claims that she caught either an alien or an elf or even Dobby from Harry Potter strutting down her uh, garage. Uh, sorry, strutting down her driveway. Now, do you remember that at all? Vaguely. Um, the Vaguely. one that I remember the most that I was like super excited for, and then either like you or Steve, I think maybe you brought you brought it to the table, was that mm -hmm. Icelandic rapper. And um, <laughs> she was like out in the fucking right. wilderness, and she's like, it's a troll, it's a troll. And then like me and you are fucking just getting like paranormal hard-ons over here. Like, fuck yeah, man, it's a troll. And then Steve's like, it's the arm of a boon, Mike, you fucking idiots. And it's like, yeah. Steve, who brought you to the fucking party? Like, <laughs> yeah. way to be a Debbie fuck. You know, fuck you. It's a troll. <laughs> fucking yeah. boom arm. They were Icelandic <laughs> ice elves. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, we should check in on that uh, rapper's account and see if she's still going strong like she was. Yeah. Well, yeah, so again, this you deal with this crap all the time. Um, in La Junta, Colorado, we'll include all these photos in the Instagram, but yeah, you've got this lady who supposedly claims that her security footage mounted on her garage caught this little elf, big old long pointy ears, just walking down her driveway, and then out of nowhere, poof, he just disappears. <sighs> Lighting is good, it looks somewhat believable, but again, as much as you want this shit to be real... <sighs> Heavy sigh. <laughs> now, the other one I bet you probably remember a little bit about shifts over from aliens to Bigfoot. Do you remember our old buddy, Rick Dyer? Yeah, who doesn't? First of all, that I get... Fucking huckster. Yeah, and I give props to him, the fact that, like, every five years, like, he keeps trying again. And, <laughs> like, people buy into it. Like, nobody remembers this guy's fucking name. Like, the last time, like, you created a Bigfoot sculpture in ice and, like, you gave it the smallest penis, like, the ratio. <laughs> like, if you just would have made the dong a little bit longer, like, people probably would have bought right. into it a little bit more. But yeah. it's like, you create an eight-foot sculpture with, like, a one-inch pecker. Like, come on, dude. That's that's not even that that's not real. That's not how science yeah, works. Yeah, we all know he's packing like a Louisville slugger down there. Yeah, you, you would have put like a seven inch dong on that. Would have been like, fuck yeah, dude, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> I think we've read enough Bigfoot erotica around here to know how big his schlonger is. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, old Rick Dyer back in August of two thousand eight, along with a guy named Matthew Witten, released a press release saying that they had caught and killed Bigfoot and had his body 
encased in a block of ice. And they said this thing was around seven foot, seven inches tall, 500 pounds. And they found it in the North Georgia mountains back in June of 08. And they went on to say that they saw three other creatures like this. And, you know, after they found a way to carry this carcass out, that these creatures followed them all through the woods. And it took, you know, days upon days and extra people to help them. And they were terrified they could have been killed because, you know, Bigfoot don't normally like you to take their <laughs> dead bodies. They normally supposedly handle the stuff on their own, which is why you don't find, you know, Bigfoot carcasses on the side of the road like a bunch of deers. Well, he went on to tour and do all this crap and hoopla. And I remember the newspaper headlines and everything else. And just about the time it hit the apex of like, holy shit, this might just be real. Old boy named Jerry Perino, who's the owner of an internet Halloween costume retail establishment called thehorrordome.com, came forward and said, yeah, guys, that uh, definitely looks like the Bigfoot costume that we make. And they were then told, okay, guys, if you really have a Bigfoot, why don't you submit some tissue samples for, you know, some colleges and veterinarians and biologists to um, research. And we'll figure out just what this guy is. Because if all the stuff comes back as unknown DNA, then you might just have a dead Bigfoot. And he knew his goose was cooked. And he submitted quote-unquote tissue samples. And upon further inspection, it came back saying the corpse was in fact a latex costume which had been stuffed with oodles of possum roadkill, other dead animals, entrails from <laughs> random scavenger sites, and slaughterhouse scraps. And then the sad trombone began to play. Wah, wah, wah. Well, like you said, Presto, five years later, well, a little less, a little more, a little, little less. In 2012, this guy gets the freaking cojones to come forward again and say, look, guys, I know last time I really got you by the bullshit. But this time, guys, I found another Bigfoot. I caught it and killed it in San Antonio, Texas, using none other than barbecue pork ribs from Walmart doused in my special Bigfoot hunting sauce. Which he claims he nailed. See, I go out there in the woods and I put a little bit of peanut butter on the chicken. I'm like, hey, Bigfoot, come get you some. And that motherfucker, right. he just comes right out. And I was like, kapow! And I shot him with my shotgun. If my name there ain't Rick Dyer. <laughs> and you can cash that at the bank. Yeah, he claims that he and his buddies just went around nailing half racks of Walmart ribs to trees, knowing that that was the secret Bigfoot special uh, bait. And claims, you know, he had a video even of this grainy Bigfoot walking up and kind of sniffing and ripping down these ribs. And then, like you said, kapow, he says, I shot him once, chased him down through the middle of the night, and then I caught up to him again and shot him and I killed him. And he claims that an unnamed university in Washington state tested the creature's DNA and told Dyer this time it was an unknown species. Because that's what you do as an A-class huckster. You do the dirty work first. Also, folks, I did get the DNA tested, so don't even ask me about it, okay? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, self-proclaimed Bigfoot skeptic Alan Isleb, or Musky Alan... <laughs> of Wakanda, Illinois, claimed to have inspected Dyer's Bigfoot at Las Vegas in February 2013 
And he says, guess what, y'all? This thing is real. I done seen it in Las Vegas. And the claim resulted in a lot of people getting sucked into this old scam. So Dyer called the creature Hank and did what any self-respecting Bigfoot huckster would do. He packed this bad boy up into a coffin, laid some plexiglass over top of it, and toured the good old United States of A with charging charging adults $10 and children $5 to catch a glimpse at it. And overall, this sold-out tour would go on to pull in close to half a million dollars. Now, about the creature's DNA, Dyer says the DNA sequencing scans, autopsies, and everything you can imagine was already being done, and critics soon started pointing out that Dyer had pulled off a Bigfoot hoax back in 2008. That's right. Everybody got so caught up in this old boy saying that he caught himself a genuine Bigfoot, people had all but forgot that he pulled this bullshit back in 2008. So everybody band together and required him to release more testing. And throughout the course of the hoax, Dyer repeatedly slandered anybody who spoke up loud enough about him pulling off another big old case of bullshit. So Professor Don Jeffrey steps in at the department, I'm sorry, Don Jeffrey Meldrum steps in from the Department of Anthropology at Idaho State University and says, this thing looks like it's been cleverly fabricated to depict a specimen that has been dissected. It smacks of images of alien autopsies. Responding to the controversy that team members working with Dyer on touring and Bigfoot projects Overall confronted Dyer. Oh, no, that sounds kind of stupid. Blah, 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 blah. And later on, Dyer was then confronted about suspicions of authenticity, which Dyer then admitted to a personal assistant that the body of Hank was not real, but again, constructed from a company out of Washington State who he paid to make the closest looking real corpse of a Bigfoot, like you said, again, sporting a very tiny member. <laughs> <laughs> and he says he was going to go on to use that as a movie prop about finding and killing Bigfoot. <sighs> so again, his crew abandoned him and he announced on his Facebook page that Hank indeed was a hoax again. And Chris Russell of Twisted Toy Box in Washington admitted that he had manufactured Hank at Dyer's request using latex foam and camel hair. Dyer had told Russell the prop was going to be used for a movie about killing Bigfoot that he was shooting and also had requested a baby Bigfoot as well as a female Bigfoot corpse to be created as well by the Twisted Toy Box. <sighs> so, Dyer goes on to now claim that don't worry folks, even though he has pulled the bullshit card twice, he does actually have the body of a real Bigfoot that he shot and killed, but the U.S. government has confiscated it from him, so he can't actually produce it at this time. Good old Rick Dyer. Yeah, he's, he's been uh, looking at his Facebook page right now. He's been pretty silent since uh, <laughs> looks like his last post was uh, November 22nd of 2020. And it's Team mm -hmm. Tracker Bigfoot, my past, and what to expect. A bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a son of a bitch. <laughs> 
Well, from there on, we're going to move into three more tales of alien encounters. And are they or aren't they hoaxes? Mm. Because again, as we do research for the show, and I say research in air quotes with big shiny glitter and explosions behind it, as we do research for these shows, nothing is a bigger kick in the Johnson than getting halfway through a story thinking, ooh, this one's pretty good. It's got everything you want. You know, teenagers making out on some kind of make-out point and something creepy out in the bushes and bright lights and big spooky monsters. <gasps> ooh, titties, gore, and blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what more does one need? <laughs> And then you find out that old Jethro and Johnny, you know, put together some big rubber donkey suit when they were out there just perving on people necking in the woods. Well, that's kind of the case of a story I came across called The Georgia Martian Monkey. Now, our story starts off as every other normal story does for police officer Shirley Brown and his partner on another hot summer July night near the town of Austell in the United States of America in a big old state we like to call Georgia, where Rick Dyer is probably making another fake Bigfoot as we speak. <laughs> it's a quiet night, not a lot going on, and these two police officers normally use the nighttime to just kind of sit there and chew the fat and bullshit with each other as time goes by. But on this very special evening, it's about to turn into something anything but normal. On July 8, 1953, Officer Brown and his partner were just outside Austell, just north of Atlanta, driving along the back-end highway. As, two officers, as the two officers rounded the bend, they had to stop because there was a pickup truck sitting peculiarly off the side of the road, surrounded by three very agitated and animated men, panicking, yelling for someone to help them. So Officer Brown gets out of his truck and comes around the side and identifies himself. Hey, this is Officer Brown with the hoot nanny and so on and so forth, and what can I do you for? Well, two of the men identify themselves as the town barbers, Ed Waters and Tom Wilson, and the third being a local butcher by the name of Arnold Payne. And these three men were pretty excited and blabbering away about some creature they had seen in bright lights and UFOs and everything else, just trying their best to catch their breath and just spitting out random stuff here and there. So Officer Brown says, you guys just need to calm down a second, catch your breath, and tell me what the hell's going on here. And the men go on to tell the police officers that they had been driving along the quiet rural road when they turned around the bend to see something glowing red looking like a flying saucer hovering just over the asphalt. And when they slowed down to get a better look at this UFO, they noticed two small, bizarre creatures, about two feet tall, scuttling around in the bushes. Now, one of the two creatures jumped out in front of the truck, which they accidentally hit. They claimed the other creature suddenly took notice of them, took off, jumped in the UFO, turned on the thrusters, and then boom! Blue flame shot out, scorched the road, burned up its partner, and this thing just hauled ass back to wherever the hell it came from. And they claim when they stopped the truck, they noticed this half-burnt creature lying in the middle of the wood, uh, lying in the middle of the road, but it was already dead. So Officer Brown didn't quite believe one bit of this bullshit until they walked him over to the side of the road and showed him the evidence. Now, upon walking up to the creature, Officer Brown notes that the uh, highway is indeed scorched, and it looks like something with an extremely high heat signature must have blasted the side of the asphalt. And a little farther over off the side of the road, he claims there lied a dead 
alien. Officer Brown said he took one look and could see that it was hairless and pale with a misshapen head, large, round, oversized eyes, and it had a strange green tint to the skin. Otherwise, he says, this thing was hideous and not of this world. So Officer Brown was forced to do what any cop would hate to do, and he had to phone this into headquarters. So he dials it in and says, look, we got something weird going on. I got these three guys out here. It's, yeah, you know, yep, yep, it's the two barbers and the butcher, like always. And they claim to have found some kind of creature, and I don't think it's from this world. And it didn't take long, as it never does, for the story of this UFO and dead alien to just get thrown out into the wild, and soon the police station was being called from the news, from the Air Force, and dozens of other people calling to see if they really had captured some strange alien creature that was out scampering through the bushes. In fact, the police station was being deluged by so many calls that when it hit the news the next day, it became the talk of Atlanta with many people truly believing they were amidst an actual alien invasion, only further fueled by numerous images of the creepy dead alien body being splashed all over the news, some strange creature in this giant vat of God knows what kind of embalming fluid or preservatives could be, must have been a true space alien. But lucky for us, Preston, not only do veterinarians take care of answering <laughs> Facebook Messenger when your cat eats a bunch of balloon string or fixing your duck in some random barn in the middle of Peabody. But they also knew a thing or two about a thing or two. And the local veterinarian stepped in and took a look at the body. And at first was unable to identify whether or not the animal he was looking at was something of this world or not. He admitted the skin being green was a bit strange. There was nothing he knew of on this earth that had green skin. The eyeballs were larger than most animals. It did have a peculiar shaped head and big old bulbous, you know, Dumbo looking ears, which then only fueled the mass hysteria a little bit farther. Now all this is going on and the creature's now being called the Martian monkey by most people, especially over at the Emory University where it had been taken over to be examined. When two anatomy professors quickly realize this ain't no Martian monkey at all. After doing some testing and some wherewithal, the two professors discovered the Martian monkey was just a normal monkey. In fact, a rhesus monkey to be exact, that looks to have been shaved bald to make it look even weirder than a monkey already looks. And thus you have your Martian monkey. Now, the police probed the three men who quickly caved in and admitted to have killed the alien and quickly... Uh, hang on a second. Now, the three men were pressed by the police who quickly admitted they had pulled off a hoax and the prank was beginning to get out of hand. What they had done is somehow got a hold of a dead rhesus monkey, shaved its ass bald, chopped off the tail, and rubbed it down with green food coloring added bizarreness, after of which they tossed it in the street and used a blowtorch to cook the sides of the asphalt and scorched the poor deceased monkey's skin to add an extra layer of realism. Now, even though these three hucksters came forward and admitted, hey, we didn't really see an alien, we just bullshitted our way across this thing, it didn't stop people 
from assuming all sorts of crazy things. The number one being, there's no rhesus monkey. That thing's an alien. The government must have stepped in and told these boys to make up some kind of half-cocked scheme so they could take the real alien away to Area 51 and do further investigations. Now, ultimately, most people were then led to believe that this really was truly a prank, and the three jackasses were ultimately slapped with just a $40 fine for obstructing the highway <laughs> and the unfortunate nicknames of the Monkey Men. Now, they went on to have to pay a couple more fi uh, fines and fees because they were hit with accusations of animal cruelty, although the animal was deceased at the time of the mutilations. But thus is the story of the Georgia Martian monkey. And we'll include a photo here of this alien creature inside some kind of jar of <laughs> preservatives. It still looks cool, and it's actually on display at a college um, to go along with the story of what exactly happened for local lore. Now, moving on from monkeys, I want to talk about something that actually kind of gripped me by the, uh, holy crap, this might be a real alien abduction balls. And that's going to be the story of the McPherson tape. Now, Presto, do you know anything about the McPherson tape? Nope, nothing. Is it, does it take okay. place in McPherson, Kansas? <laughs> no, I got excited thinking it did. Oh. Uh, the McPherson tape is something that has made its way around... The, um, the rumor mill, even before the internet, this was one of those like forbidden VHS tapes that were kind of being passed around here and there, almost like a video nasty of sorts, although it's not really that graphic at all. Back in 1989, a rather unique VHS video began making its rounds simply called UFO Abduction. It was being presented as a home video taken at the home of the McPherson family who were celebrating a five-year-old's birthday for their young daughter, Michelle, at the remote county house out in the mountains of the Northwoods in Connecticut. Now, the video, which was stated to have been taken in the early evening of October 8, 1983, was filmed by Michelle's uncle, where the video starts out normally, just as any other, Mundane talk, bullshitting, talking over each other, you know, three brothers hooting and hollering, and a little girl just asking, can we eat cake? Can we please open presents? And it's actually really otherwise pretty boring until things really start to kick off. Now, I admittedly got sucked into this because, you know, being the nerdy kid in the corner of the library reading magazines and spooky shit, I had actually heard of the McPherson tapes back when I was in middle school. And it's something I always wanted to get a hold of and had completely forgot about, you know, once I reached adulthood. Now, in the video, there's some strange noises, a big flash, and the family thinks that something must have flown over top of the house and possibly landed in the woods. So after a bit of brief panic and chatter... The boys go out to check on what exactly happened because the breaker got switched, the lights go out, and there's some bizarre lights out in the woods. And as they get out in the woods with this shaky cam and this grainy 1980s video camera, they clearly come upon a bizarre UFO sitting up on tripod legs in the middle of the woods and three alien greys wearing very strange black, you know, suits walking around this weird craft. And the camera's shaky and it's super grainy, so it adds to the spookiness. But at one point, 
one of the aliens actually looks over and sees the men standing there. They have a holy shit moment, take a few more seconds of footage, and then just haul balls back to the cabin. Now, once they get inside, they lock the doors, they start going nuts, and they're like, oh my God, they're out there, they're out there. They start grabbing these shotguns and, you know, rallying the family around to stay away from the windows and the doors and everything else, and it gets real quiet. And you hear these footsteps go across the roof. And then you, you're stuck glued to this movie, thinking like, oh God, oh God, oh God, what's going on? Because the video started up with just saying the following footage was found, blah, 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 blah. So at some point, one of the guys gets the bright idea to go outside and he takes the gun. You hear, and he claims to have shot one of these creatures. So one of the brothers goes outside and next thing you know, they're coming back in and they walk into the cabin, into the frame, and they're carrying the corpse of what you think is an alien. And they kind of flash it over and the camera gets a quick glimpse of it. And then they run to the back of the house and they put it in, you know, like the spare bedroom or whatever. And then things are scary and there's screams and there's peeps and everything else. And at one point, one of the brothers goes to the back of the room and decides like, hey, let's go check on this alien. And in true horror movie fashion, they go to the back room and they discover the corpse of the alien is no longer there. Holy shit, what are we going to do? Well, like any other self-respecting family, they all kind of calm down, sit down at the table which is at the top left-hand corner of the screen. Our camera's now at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. And they sit down and try to have the most relaxed little chitter-chatter they can around the table. And the last frame of footage is the top right-hand corner of the screen. You barely see these shadows walking in uniform, in a uniform line down the hallway. And then three short, skinny, big-headed aliens come around the corner into frame. The family screams and fade to black. And after that, there's no movie credits, there's just a small title card that says, the family have all vanished without a trace, and contains a number to call if anybody has any information on the whereabouts of the McPherson family. Now at the time, as this video is making its rounds, you know, in the early to mid-90s, we don't have yet any real shaky cam horror movies, right? Blair Witch wouldn't be made for several years later. Um, the natural unscripted banter between family members and amateur framing and overlapping voices and shaky camera, you know, crappy lighting, all leads you to believe that this one hour long film, all being shot in one take, is just what it appears to be on the surface. A family video that caught the abduction of an entire family. Later on, the videotapes, you know, are called the McPherson tape after having UFO abduction kind of scrubbed off of it. And what's bizarre about this tape is that it would go on <laughs> to make its way across shows like sightings and encounters and all sorts of stuff. At one time, Unsolved Mysteries catches a whiff of it, and they're like, hey, we need some more information about this because we're going to publish this video and see if we can figure out what the fuck happened to this family. And what makes it even stranger is there's no real original copies of this video because supposedly the actual warehouse where the video was being kept had burned down. So all you had were these weird copies being sent to like video stores and bootleg copies making their way around, you know, through the public. Now, the film would eventually go on, like I said earlier, onto episodes of paranormal TV shows, especially the show called Encounters, 
which various experts would come forward and, you know, vouch for the credibility of the film, including Air Force colonels who said they were convinced it was not faked, and other sorts of, you know, professionals and forerunning experts on abduction and, you know, the alien phenomena. Everybody's just rallying like, holy shit, guys, we've got this real video of a legitimate alien abduction. And right around the time of this shit really hitting the fan and just crescendoing into, holy shit, guys, aliens are real, it slowly began to come out this actually was nothing more than a no-budget film project put together by a director and film school dropout named Dean Aliato. Fuck you. <laughs> Dean Aliato had just finished reading Whitley Strieber's book Communion, and he decided, holy shit, how awesome would it be to make a UFO abduction movie? So he scrounged together $6,500 and went on to describe making his film. He said, all my favorite directors had made their debuts around my age, and I didn't want to be left behind. So at that point, I dropped out of school and was eager just to go on and make movies. I met a producer who said he wanted to invest $6,500, and I kind of laughed it off and said, the only thing I could do for that money is a home video. And then the light bulb goes off, and he thinks, holy shit, I just finished reading this memoir called Communion by Whitley Strieber, who describes his own account of being abducted by aliens. So I decided to go ahead and take the abduction storyline, embedded it into a home video, and I wrote a 10-page beat sheet with the direction and description of every scene I wanted to film. Everything outside of that was just sheer improvisation. I gave the actors short backstories, but told them that it was up to them to fill in the blanks about themselves. I thought I could just cue people by screaming, Oh God, what was that? Pan the camera over, and then they naturally just followed suit. So Aliato basically got a bunch of his friends together, made a fake family, and filmed this video. He even acted in the movie by himself. Himself. He would go on to hire children to play the aliens and paid about $750 to a prop maker to make masks, costumes, and even the UFO you see in the video. But ironically, it's the shoestring budget that contributes to the biggest convincing factor of this actually being a really a realistic film instead of just some, you know, art school project. The way the shifty dark lighting and shaky camera kind of leads on to being more of this macabre, you know, home video. Other factors help launch the video into talk of being real shortly after the film is completed. The warehouse really did burn down that carried the real copies of the film, destroying almost all of them except for a few copies that were in very limited release, mostly just being sent out as advanced copies to mom-and-pop video shops before they could throw on the official title cards or ending credits. So literally, this is a happy accident. That's what leads to the credibility, is the fact that there's no written, produced, directed by crap on top of it. All of this made sure the McPherson tape was achieving a status akin to the War of the Worlds broadcast. 
being taken as real, and Aliotta was doing nothing to stop it. He's just like, oh god, oh god, oh god. I just started a forest fire and can't put it out. <laughs> Can you imagine making that film and then just thinking, oh fuck, what do I do? Do I ruin it and just tell everybody I made it and get credit for this thing? Or do I just see how far this bad boy's gonna run before I grab it by the back of the neck and say, whoa, doggies! Yeah, you just let that baby go. You're just like, fuck it. <laughs> It's exactly what he did. And it, I mean, it just got so far out of control that rumors started popping up about, you know, what happened to the family. And next thing you know, like, he's got this film showing up on TV shows where literally Air Force colonels are coming forward saying, yep, I believe 100% that this is a real footage of real video and God bless the family and I hope we find them. So he goes on later to say that he gets a phone call one time from this guy saying that he just found this footage. And he says, I kid you not, he actually said that. And then he says that my name started popping up and describes the movie to me. So I go on to tell him that I didn't find the movie, man. I made the movie. And he tells me he saw it at the International UFO Congress Convention, which is the biggest UFO convention at the time in the world. And the movie was presented with no credits. The guy goes on to tell me that then it said that there are some TV shows that want to do a story on the movie, including Unsolved Mysteries, Hard Copy, and Fox News, who had a show called Encounters. I told him the first one was out because this mystery is pretty much solved, so there's no point in going on Unsolved Mysteries just to basically, you know, poo-poo on it at the very end. So then he went on to the show called Encounters, and they did the seven-minute segment on what they called the world's greatest UFO hoax for the program that aired in early 1990s. I went on national TV and debunked my own film. He would go on to be on Encounters, and again, he debunked his own film at the end of the segment when they did say, this is all real, and it's rather bizarre. And then he would come on and say, no, guys, unfortunately, I faked this film. Now, the epilogue to the story is that he becomes this overnight celebrity and was given later a bigger budget to remake the original 1989 film as a 1998 made-for-TV movie called Alien Abduction, Incident at Lake County, which changes the names and locations as well as certain beats and adds a lot of new elements such as aliens with ray guns, cattle mutilation, and additionally... Um, which is additionally oftentimes mistaken for the original found footage film. Unbelievably, all of this only serves to make the original more and more popular and mysterious for all conspiracy theorists doubling down on their own belief that the McPherson tape, still to this day, is actually real. A lot of people watch it and say that, no, there's no way you hired children to wear those costumes. The necks are way too thin, the arms are way too long, and the heads are way too big to be that of children. You've been hired by the government to basically come forward and say this is not real. We know the secret, and we know the truth is still out there. Now, what's funny for me personally, Presto, is I had heard about McPherson tapes, like I said, back in middle school. I was actually going to do a segment on the McPherson tape um, a few episodes ago, 
and I was doing the research, getting really into it, trying to figure out like, okay, I gotta find a real copy of this. A lot of places on YouTube claim to be the real video, and it ends up being as much jackasses who are, you know, quote unquote, reacting to the video and trying to break it down. And then unfortunately, about the time the bubble got the biggest and I started getting really excited about the story, I was on Shudder one night, flipping through independent films, and a horror movie popped up called The McPherson Tape. <laughs> so literally, as I'm about to sit here and type up an episode about The McPherson Tape, I discovered legitimately the original copy, an original copy of the original story, and watched it on Shudder. After watching it, I can confirm this thing is creepy. If I didn't know any better and hadn't researched it and you came to my house and popped it in the VHS player, VCR, some people call it, I would watch it and think, holy shit, Preston, we just found ourselves a UFO abduction snuff film. It looks good. It's creepy. It's got all the right beats that a horror movie should have. It looks like a legitimate homemade movie. And come to find out, it's just all bullshit. Yeah. No. So <laughs> on the Instagram account, we'll put pictures of the prop maker standing next to the UFO, as well as the kids both wearing the masks and holding the masks, further proving it was just a tape. But who knows? Maybe Aliato was, in fact, paid by the U.S. government to cover up his own UFO abduction film. Yeah. Now, the last story we're going to talk about is one that uh, admittedly is the most peculiar uh, it, it straddles the line of being, holy shit, this clearly is fake, and I don't know, it's kind of fun to think it might be real. And that, boys and girls and ghouls, is the story of Skinny Bob. Which is not the, the last Skinny story Bob. we're going to talk about, because Skinny Bob inspired me to look up something real quick. <laughs> Oh, shit. So you have a little epilogue to our, our tales of terror, yeah. <laughs> our sad trombones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the story of Skinny Bob. Back in 2011, a very curious video starts making its rounds around the internet, as curious videos often do. Released on YouTube by a user called Ivan0135. The series of supposed, sorry, supposed leaked videos allegedly shows an alien being being interrogated by allegedly the KGB. And in the videos, an alien that looks very much like your typical gray is shown being interviewed and examined, supposedly as part of some sort of diplomatic exchange. Now, the creature dubbed Skinny Bob is said to be a being from Zeta Reticuli, which is a star system, sent in as part of an envoy to discuss matters of mutual concern between the alien race and humans. And according to the videos, the aliens would be escorted by, you know, different officers. There's several aliens who have claimed to be present during these videos. And one of the most prominent aliens is the one who's nicknamed Skinny Bob, who had become a viral sensation after appearing on several videos making their way across the internet and the UFO communities. Now, the creature itself appears to be this very, you know, tall, thin, slouched-over creature with a giant, oversized bald head, a slit for a mouth, big, black, oily eyes that seem to, you know, express different kind of moods and blink, and claw-like hands at the end of very long, thin, spindly arms. 
And we never get a real good look at the creature, as most of these videos are, because supposedly these are anywhere between... These are from anywhere between 1942 and 1969, with only, quote-unquote, a few clips being leaked out. And right now, you can go on YouTube, pause the episode, and go watch, quote-unquote, Skinny Bob videos, or Alien Skinny Bob, and you can pretty much get this whole cachet of videos, some a minute long, some five minutes, some with a bunch of dorks like us trying to, you know, see if they're real or fake. But most of them show Skinny Bob sitting at a table, apparently in a telepathic interview, with a token of the old camera in the background. You can find videos, supposedly, of a group of aliens floating in some kind of liquid, which supposedly is what they suspend themselves in to sleep. And according to the videos, the aliens were oftentimes filled without their knowledge or agreement from one supposed infamous video called Document 072 forward slash E, describing an incident back in 1961, which supposedly three of the beings are being filmed secretly, only to have one of them realize they're being secretly filmed by a hidden device, which was considered to be a violation of their agreement and treaty. And there's some other video called Family Vacation, which is a clip showing a large group of them walking down a corridor. Now, when these videos first started surfacing, it's your classic three or four videos go up and they get taken down. Three more go up, they get taken down. Five more go up, they get taken down. Um, which cleverly could be done by Ivan0135, of course, you know, just drumming up the wow factor and the awe factor. Who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, in some of the videos, you can see Skinny Bob blinking where his eyelids kind of go up and down. It looks very CGI or animatronic. But some people go as far as saying, you know, if Skinny Bob is faked, it's either an animatronic puppet or CGI or a blend of both. If it's digital, then it's an outstanding and the digital creator deserves to be, you know, noted because clearly he's a professional CGI animator. If it's digital, then it wasn't a keyframe animation but motion capture. If it was motion capture, then it would need to be a studio setup. A studio setup means money and more people need to be involved. If it's a puppet, then it's, you know, not only a stunning puppet design, but I'm sure the puppeteers were top-notch, you know, the, the best of the best. And the way he shifts his stance and looks down when he's having his height measured, um, just overall people say this kind of video could cost a production company, you know, $250,000, you know, that kind of budget to make this kind of thing. Yet, supposedly, there's no monetary value coming off these videos that anybody can tell. So, again, a lot of your, you know, supporters are saying that that's a lot of money to blow just to make a fun little video to take no credit for. So, like most videos, and a fun way to end my segment of stories... You can't prove this one is real or fake. You know, the Martian monkey we know is just a shaved, deceased Reese's monkey. The McPherson tape, you know, unfortunately was just an at-home video, our very first shaky cam horror film. But we can't really prove, like we can with a giant, you know, camel hair latex costume, that Skinny Bob is real or fake, which leads you to believe maybe, maybe, guys, the truth could still be out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Presto, before you get into your segment, what do you think about Skinny Bob? So that video that you sent me 
where it, like, mm-hmm. you know, they changed the filtration of the movie mm-hmm. and then, like, slowed it up, slowed it down. The way that you can see the eyes move <clears throat> and, like, you know, the, the eyebrows crease um, and it blinks. That's a, if it's fake, I mean, that's a pretty good puppeteer because in most cases, like when they're fake, like somebody like that, uh, the, uh, Whitley Strieber movie, um, Mm -hmm. with, uh, Christopher Walken, like, dude, look at the fucking aliens that they had, (laughs) like back, back then, like, that's like the extent of our like costumes and stuff. So typically the Mm -hmm. eyes don't move like that. Um, so mm-hmm. the fact that the way that they showed the different filters so that you could see like the eye movement, um, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to, the molder in me wants to lean toward that. This is not bullshit. It's, it's convincing. It's, it's one of those videos you watch. And the, again, the one I sent you, um, people are analyzing it supposedly, like you said, putting different filters on it, slowing it down, speeding it up, adding different infrared filters and all this kind of shit. You watched, like you said, you watched the way the eyebrows move and the eyelids move. And it's like, it's almost too creepy to be real. It's almost obviously fake. But again, if it were led to believe the video was made back in the 60s, pretty fucking convincing. I could also argue that you make the intro to our YouTube series of videos with the boop, boop. Yeah. Clearly you made that (laughs) two or three years ago. It's not hard to fake this stuff. I could slap a Photoshopped fake timestamp on anything, you know? So I kind of throw out the window, the idea of this thing being from the forties or sixties, but even if it's made modern day, still a pretty solid video. Um, And I can also say from experience, when you Photoshop certain things, my trick to make things look, you know, seamless as possible for art school, I would Photoshop things that were different, you know, resolutions into different photos. And you could then grab the digital file, blow it up, and then clearly see like, yes, this person is crisp and clear. And then the background's, you know, really pixelated. I would put my file together and then slap on some kind of filter over top of it before pressing it and saving it. Therefore, everything pixelated at roughly the same rate. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not hard to fake stuff. You actually throw on filters to make shitty things look better. <laughs> <laughs> I.e., you know, Snapchat filters, stuff like that. So I don't know. It's a fun video. I really enjoy it. On our Facebook posts, I will put links to as much of this fun stuff as I can find. I think McPherson Tapes, you can probably find the entire video um, for free to watch on YouTube somewhere. But I know it was also, you know, I believe probably released recently by some kind of independent um, production company because, like I said, it was on Shutter uh, in their film archive. So, well, Preston, what did old Skinny Bob make you think of when you watched those videos? The Dropa Stones. Have we talked? Have we really talked about those? Do you know what those are? Ah, uh, no. So the uh, Dropa Stones or Dropa Cost Stones. Uh, are pretty popular um, in ufologists and uh, pseudo-archaeologists. They're mm-hmm. um, 716 circular stone discs dating back to 12,000 years ago. 
and um, they were discovered in China. Now, most of them today are missing. So if you try to go to a Chinese mm-hmm. museum and ask about them, like nobody knows where the fuck they're at. Kind of like the American giants, like they, you know, back in the 20s and 30s, like every museum had an actual giant skeleton. And now, mm-hmm. like, nobody knows where the fuck they're at. So Because <laughs> it's easier to fake giant skeletons back in the 60s than it is now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, each disc is claimed to measure up to one foot in diameter and carry two grooves mm-hmm. um, originating from a hole in their center, and they form a double spiral. Now, hmm. um, when you look at some of them, like, they'll have, like, triangular designs and whatnot, but uh, a... Uh, researcher Sum Um Nui in 1962. I probably butchered that, but I don't speak Chinese. Well, I so. bet you nailed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had reported that the grooves on the disc were actually very tiny hieroglyphs. And so he put them under a, like a microscope or a, like a high powered magnifier. Mm-hmm. And he was able to translate it. And the, basically the hieroglyphs, uh, when he deciphered them, talked about a space crash uh, where like a spacecraft had landed in the area by the mm-hmm. Bayan Har Mountains and that the ship contained the drope of people who could not fix it and therefore had to adapt to Earth. And then further in his research claims that the drope of people were hunted down by the local Chinese people for the period and uh, Sum Um Nui noted that specifically that one glyph apparently said the dropa came down from the clouds and their aircraft or men, w- women, and children hid in the caves ten times before sunrise. When at last we understood the sign language of the dropas, we realized that the newcomers had peaceful intentions. So this guy thought it like his shit didn't stink. Like he was all excited. Like, oh, my God, I found like this lost history in China. And mm-hmm. uh, he published professional journals in 1962. Uh, and guess what? Um, he was ridiculed beyond all belie- you know, belief. And <laughs> yeah. um, he you was like, nerd. yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm a fucking embarrassment to my country, society and my family. And so he self uh, he had a self-imposed exile in Japan where uh, shortly he died um, after he completed the manuscript of his work. So, like, I don't know, he just, like, died of depression or some shit. So some people had found, like, in Russia had found, like, the research um, kind of interesting. So they uh, reached out, and they got some of the discs shipped to Moscow. And then Mm. they they said that once they were there, uh, they scraped like loose particles and put them through chemical analysis. And they revealed that um, they contain large amounts of cobalt and other metallic substances, which if they carbon dated, you know, uh, you know, 3000 to 12000 years ago at that time, we didn't really work with those metals. So who the Mm -hmm. fuck made them? And it was recorded in the Soviet magazine Sputnik by Dr. Yakashev Salvez um, that they created a turntable and a needle to put inside those grooves and when they turned it on it had this weird vibrate or hum um, and like this electrical charge was passing through all the equipment huh so yeah that's that's kind of interesting and then yeah. Ernest Wergner a uh, Australian engineer in 1974 visited the Banpao Museum in Zion, Zhangzi province, where he saw two of the Dropa stones. 
And uh, he asked the manager about them, and the guy's like, fuck, I don't know. They're some fucking metal disc, dude, whatever. And so, like, he picked them up, and he could clearly see the hieroglyphs. And uh, so he tried to, like, photograph it, but um, the, like, the flash from the camera distorted them so much that you couldn't tell. And then by 1994, um, the disc and the manager had disappeared from the museum, and nobody knows where the fuck they're at. So, whoa, weird. Yeah, supposedly I'm reading about this as you're talking about it. Um, no, you already said that. I misread that. And then Zoom, uh, Zoom Um Nui is supposedly uh-huh. not a real Chinese name, leading people to believe that it's bullshit. <gasps> Interesting. Yeah, it says here the uh, the Dropa people themselves were four feet tall. Large, well-developed heads, big eyes, and the rest of the bodies were very thin and underdeveloped. Like Bob. Like classic gray alien. Like like Skinny Bob. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, Bob, you ever been to, uh, you know, uh, China? Just asking. Yeah. Just asking for a friend. What kind of records you guys like to listen to there, huh? Are they big, made of stone? <laughs> hum a lot? Well, I'll be damned, man. What a What a weird story. Is it fake? Is it real? We don't know on this episode. I mean, could be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. I'll have to find some photos of those to put them in the old Insta and Facebook as well. Well, hot damn, man. What a bunch of fun bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. And, you know, that's the fun stuff. I hate to be a, a poopy pants, but a lot of the stuff we talk about, you know, who knows? Yeah. I want it to be real. I believe some of it's real, but it could easily just be a bunch of hucksters. And, you know, the the thing, like, with the ancient, like, astronaut stuff that, like, always really fascinates me, um, I, I think that in every, you know, every culture is guilty of it. Like, mm-hmm. you go over to Egypt, and, you know, in the last 15 years, let's just take out the crazy aliens built the pyramids bullshit stuff, right? Just yeah, right. human ingenuity on how they were built. Because it's been established for so long that they were, you know, well, uh-huh. we have an idea that that Egyptian culture has accepted that. And if any science comes out that says, no, this is how it's done, like they fucking just, you know, fuck you. That's not how it's done. No, we're fucking Egyptians. And we're here to tell you that this is the exact time they were built. And this is how we do it. And we don't fucking care about your science. Chinese, huh. same fucking thing. In uh, World War uh, Two. When the Japanese invaded and, like, American airplanes were flying over and, like, taking reconnaissance photos, they developed right. or, you know, they they saw, like, white gleaming pyramids that looked almost like, you know, Mayan or, like, Aztec. And so a bunch of, like, archaeologists, like, dude, this is fucking amazing. Let's go over there. And then the Chinese government's like, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. What pyramids? Well, they had actually paid the farmers to cover them up with dirt because it's the idea that they already had this established history that we don't want to budge from it. And you know what? We're, we're guilty of it too. Like how many times, like the giants, for example, like, you know, you come across where like the native Americans have folklore about like giants and mounds and things like that. And we find, you know, something here 
and everybody's like, dude, that's a bunch of shit. There's no way. No, there's nothing buried <laughs> in those mounds. It's already been fucking established that Christopher Columbus discovered America in, you know, 1492 and blah, 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 and all this other bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, fuck you. And it's like, all right, you know, we, we're going to have to... You know, we're going to have to change a little bit. We're going to have to change our ideas and our theories because, yeah, as we're progressing and our science is progressing and we're able to say, like, no, like, we can pinpoint the date. We're telling you it's, like, you know, 12,000 years old or 13,000 years old. Like, we can't be like those fucking flat earth people that are like, no, the earth was created 4,000 years ago and it's flat. (laughs) Like, we're going to start turning into those people and we don't want to do that. That's my rant. Hey, you know what? I'll take them. The mad rants of a duck daddy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's another story here we should read. Um, I did. I mean, we're already over an hour, so it's definitely not going to be on today's episode. But have you heard of the Cottingley Fairies? Have we talked about the Cottingley Fairies? No. Supposedly a, f- a series of photos from 1917 and 1920 of two cousins who Photographed themselves with a bunch of dancing fairies. Color me intrigued. Yeah, take a look at that. Um, this is listed under the top ten paranormal hoaxes of all time. So, <laughs> again, sad trombone. Wah, wah. Oh. Well, Preston, that was fun, man. I'm uh, I'm glad we did that. That's that's interesting stuff. And like I said, I'll include some links to the videos and stuff for everyone to watch because it's it's worth watching. If nothing else, it kind of gives you an idea what to look for when you're watching this other stuff. You know, I go into every, every new video with a hope, a gleam of hope that it's real, knowing that it's hmm, probably just another fucking Rick Dyer, but yeah, Rick Dyer is going to be the guy who legitimately does hit Bigfoot, Harry and the Henderson style. And we're all just like, okay, asshole. Yeah. Dude, at least <laughs> Clearly change, that's just an animatronic monkey. At least change your fucking name. Be like, oh, no, it's uh, James Dyer now. Uh, it's James Dyer. Yeah. yeah. No shit. It's a uh, James. County Jr. It, it's a uh, James DeRay, uh, <laughs> Bigfoot D-Ray. hunter extraordinaire. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, what do you say we get out of here, man? Yeah. Cool. All right. Please, guys, check out the Instagram PXL Paranormal. It's where all the good stuff comes in. The photos, the companion uh, posts, and everything else we drop on there whenever the new episodes come out check out the facebook page it also drops on there the pixelated paranormal podcast on facebook presto what do you got for us look folks there are going to be times where you're out and about and you know you're out in the crowd and you're walking around and somebody's going to take a look at you and be like dude is that guy for real is that just a bunch of bullshit and if you don't want that to happen (laughs) you know if you don't want to be riding that line of fact or faked i'm here to tell you Go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Throw some Big Dobbs Beard Bomb in your beard and 100% you'll have the most real, glorious, lush facial hair that will just leave people just stunned. Like, there's no question if your beard hair is bullshit because you used Dobbs. So go over to Dobbs, use the promo code, pick yourself up Dundee Cedar Bay Rum Sweet Tobacco Fresh Citrus Mint and Classic. Mm, there you go. There you go. I'm slowly getting my uh, sense of smell back a little by little. 
and today is the first time um, in over a week I put some beard balm in and actually smelled it. And uh, <sighs> it was a good feeling to be able to smell that again. Yeah. Now, if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by, see our good friend Leslie and the rest of the gang down at CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. All right, on behalf of Steve, I would love to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.